KBLA Talk 1580. Good morning and God bless. I'm Dominique DePrima. This show is called First Things First, a first thing every day, giving thanks, giving praises, asking for blessings from the Most High, asking for the blessings of the community, the elders, and let's get it going. Don't forget the ancestors, of course. Well, happy Wealth Building Wednesday. This is a day where we showcase a small business, BIPOC, socially innovative enterprise. And you can be part of that too if you have a business or you know a business that you want to get support for. Just hit me up on any of our socials. It's KBLA1580. Get in the DMs. We're on all the platforms. Or you can go to my personal, Deprima Radio, D-I-P-R-I-M-A, and then radio, and talk to me. Let's get your business some love. Hopefully you know what we do around here. Hour one, local. We look at what's happening on the left coast. Hour two, we go national, international, and beyond. And in the third hour, we do a deep dive with a person or persons of interest or get into a trending topic. Today, we're focused on voting rights with Judge Wendell Griffin, and that should be quite fascinating conversation. You're always welcome in 800-920-1580, 800-920-1580. It's meant to be a dialogue, not a monologue, some engagement, some reciprocity, even some good fights. It all makes for a great day and it helps us to expand our gray matter. You know, that stuff between our ears, that critical thinking stuff, that creativity, all of that is nurtured here. And we thank you so much for helping to do that. And big shout out to Miles Lowe, who's running things on the production side. He's just doing triple duty these days and uh, much, much gratitude to you, Miles. You do an amazing job. I'm being joined this morning, partner in politics, hour one. She's vice president of programs for the Los Angeles Urban League. She's responsible for implementing, administering, and evaluating all of their community services, their products, including work toward force development, urban scholars, and more. Jamika Marshall, welcome. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me, Dominique. Yeah, thanks for joining and thanks for coming in on the clutch today. I know um, you had to uh, pinch it for Ambassador Lawson. And That's right. I'm, yeah who is, of course, the leader of the L.A. Urban League. But you've got an extensive resume yourself and some of the topics, some of the concepts that are going on locally that we're wrestling with, you seem to be very well uh, positioned to talk about. So I'm really happy to have you here. Thanks so much. I'm happy to be here. You know, I'm, of course, I'm a longtime fan. I'm a native Los Angelino. So, you know, I absolutely love you on the radio, grew up with you on the radio, and also worked with uh, Guillermo for a few years at um, Advancement Project with um, gang intervention and gang violence reduction. So, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be here, and I'm uh, really excited to talk about um, helping businesses and small business owners really finish out right. the year strong. And we'll yeah, definitely so. get to all the Urban League programs, but I want to talk about some things yeah. that are going on around sure. the Southland. And for those not familiar, um, Guillermo is my former husband and uh, the father of my child, who was the former director of GRID, uh, 
Deputy Mayor of Gang Reduction and Youth Development, and of course, working closely with the Advancement Project. Some folks aren't familiar with Advancement Project. Jamika, you want to explain what you were doing there? Because you have a lot of experience around um, economic equity, social justice, but also um, LAPD reform. Yeah, absolutely. I learned a lot from Guillermo and uh, several others, including Connie Rice, who led the Advancement Project um, many years ago. And we really focused on bringing a public health model to uh, the issues surrounding violence pre prevention and uh, really helping the city move away from a kind of arrest-only and a police-only solution to a lot of the gang violence and community violence that was happening in the community. So a part of that was creating things like the gang reduction and youth development or the grid zones, which really helped infuse communities with resources and targeted resources towards at-risk youth and supportive services for folks who may be at high at risk, but also things like summer night lights and lots of um, jobs like at Brotherhood Crusade and really helping, um, you know, just invest in the community as opposed to arresting the community and ticketing the community. So it was really great work. It, we did it in the early kind of 2000s and uh, the mid-2000s when that work wasn't really popular. Now we live in a different world where those models are kind of the norm when you're talking about this stuff. But um, it was really cutting-edge work um, then, and I think it made a huge impact on the city. So, yeah. yeah, it's definitely made a huge impact. I think a lot of us take it for granted when we hear folks complaining about the spikes in violence around the pandemic and even all the sensationalization of the smash and grab and everything. We forget that we're still enjoying levels of violence not seen since the 1970s. We're still way below what we were the entire decades of the 80s and 90s, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, when we started there, you know, we were burying, folks were burying, you know, 200 um, plus folks every year to gun violence in the city. And so uh, we don't see those numbers um, anymore. Uh, and so we do have to, you know, think about the progress that we made. It's not enough. You know, every time someone's um, life is cut short, um, and a lot of times, you know, it's predominantly in the, the black and the brown communities here in Los Angeles um, to gun violence. You know, it's a tragedy and it's a travesty. But absolutely, we, um, the city of Los Angeles, the county of Los Angeles, and the communities, the South LA community, has really been on the forefront of changing. And if it wasn't for the community, um, you know, it wouldn't have happened. And so lots of communities, lots of mothers, um, worked really hard to get us to where we are today. And, and absolutely, we should definitely be grateful. Yeah, you're a native Angelino, so you know uh, probably a lot more than I do about our communities and what goes on. I was really, I'm on the road right now for those in the YouTube chat. I'll be back soon. But I was reading about this fire yesterday in South LA and the article I saw yesterday made it seem like it was pretty small, that people would get back in their homes the same day. Now, today, they're saying it was a city block that three people were hurt and 17 were left homeless. That's completely different than the reporting that I was reading on yesterday, that there were 100 firefighters, this East Vernon, 
uh, Avenue and five homes completely destroyed. Yeah, I hadn't seen that, Dominique, but one thing that comes up for me, um, especially with the bridge situation with the tent closing um, a couple of weeks ago with that fire, you know, and the governor coming down is, you know, our infrastructure. We're spending a lot of time thinking about homelessness, but a part of, you know, keeping people housed is really thinking about our infrastructure here in the city, our aging infrastructure, um, and what does that mean in terms of building more affordable housing and uh, more safe, walkable um, streets and neighborhoods for folks. And so all of it is connected. Um, we have a lot of aging infrastructure here in the city. And so that's something that I'm hoping our elected officials uh, pay a lot of attention to outside of kind of the emergency response. But yeah. Yeah. And I think that's right. Hopefully some of those American infrastructure dollars from the Biden administration will be put to good use in that sense. If anyone can do it, it's Mayor Karen Bass. The other thing here, though, is this is a construction site next to places where folks are already living, right? And right. that's where the blaze starts. They said there was no security guard in front of that construction site. Right. And with the race to put up affordable housing and the constant development in L.A., you wonder... How do community residents get impacted by this and how do we protect them from all of the possible um, impacts? Yeah, you're raising really, really important questions, Dominique, and I hope you keep talking about this stuff because it's, it doesn't get a lot of attention, right? And the folks who are most impacted by these issues are the folks who don't have a, a huge voice. We see kind of things kind of popping up in the same areas of the city, right? And mm -hmm. um, whether that be East LA or South LA, and it's folks um, that's happening who are impacted our small business, unhoused folks, um, transitional uh, folks who, you know, are like in this area for a little time, right, are renters, right, and so they don't have as loud of a voice at City Hall, and so we definitely have to keep our officials honest about what is going on, right, in terms of we, we make, we want to make sure that we're building affordable housing, but how is that impacting our streets? How is that impacting our infrastructure? How is that impacting um, the safety of the folks who already live there? And not just while the places are being built, after they're being built. A lot of the NIMBY stuff oh. that we see from communities about, hey, I don't want this in my neighborhood or I don't want these affordable houses in my, near me. It's because folks fear that once these places are built, they're going to be abandoned by the city, right? There's, there won't be parking. There won't be safety. There'll be congestion. Um, and uh, there won't be the patrols and the supportive services and the you know uh, drug treatment <laughs> facilities that are needed to help uh, support communities uh, of all different income levels, right? And so we can't just build the places. We have to make sure that these communities are really supported during the process. Yeah, after. great points all. I think Curran Price is on the scene there. He's the council member. I feel sorry for him after the LAPD blew up that entire neighborhood and he's still trying to get that completely resolved. Now he has another but hopefully his leadership on this will 
actually benefit those residents because he's been through this already and he knows what steps need to be taken. Um, mm -hmm. Well, we do have a lot to talk about. Jamika Marshall, Vice President of Programming for the Los Angeles Urban League. I want to hear about all the many things you guys are up to. I think people don't completely understand what the Urban League does and there's so much going on. Speaking of LAPD, when we come forward, I'd love to get your thoughts on this vote by the LA City Council to now require police permits for people who want to rent their homes out as Airbnb spots. Uh, I kind of thought we were moving away from getting the police involved with more and more and more things. But this is complicated because it also involves the hotel unions and a ballot measure that may or may not be on our upcoming ballot. It's KBLA Talk 1580. She's reclaiming her time on KBLA Talk 1580. More First Things First with Dominique DePrima when we come forward. Your ancestors' favorite radio station. Radio station. And your favorite morning show host. Let's get back to Dominique DePrima right now. Right now. Right now, we're also getting back to Jamika Marshall. She is the vice president of programs for the Los mm -hmm. Angeles Urban League. She served as a program manager at a national health policy organization and worked her entire career toward economic equity and social justice for black and brown communities all over the U.S., although she hails from L.A. So the L.A. City Council on yesterday uh, passed a, an ordinance is what it is, not a law, 14 to nothing, I guess, De Leon was not there, but it's part of a package, which is a negotiation between hotel unions, the hotel union and the city because of the undermining of hotel workers jobs. When, um, Airbnb union jobs, when Airbnbs come in and concerns about Airbnb and the building of new hotels, cutting down on available housing for long-term residents of Los Angeles. Unite Here Local 11, the president of that union, Kurt Peterson, said this new part of the deal uh, to regulate hotels, this requirement of a police permit to do an Airbnb, he said that it would help end illegal short-term rentals, which he says are making the houseless crisis worse. I get that. I, I just don't see how adding another duty for cops is the best thing to do. Why can't the housing department, um, you know, regulate these permits? Why can't the homelessness department regulate these permits? Well, they probably have too much on their plate. I mean, it seems to me we're trying to take things off the LAPD's plate and here we have handed them this huge duty, which they're already complaining about, saying it's going to take away from existing resources. Apparently, this deal will keep a measure off the ballot, which I'm not going to lie, I thought was a really dumb measure, requiring hotels to rent their empty rooms to homeless people while the city and county pay for that. So that's why I said it's complicated, uh, Jamika Marshall, but I'd love to get your thoughts on it. Yeah, you know, I'm not as well versed in this. I've heard about it, 
And I typically hear about these kinds of fees because I keep up with like the L.A. Police Commission. Right. And the last that I kind of heard about it was the commission, the L.A. Police, the police themselves had concerns about adding this as another right. kind of duty uh, for, for them. And so, you know, we saw that it got passed. You know, I'll say this. Um, it, this is one of many fees that the LAPD is responsible for. Everything from kind of, um, you know, pawnbrokers and, uh, you know, clubs and even arcades and carnivals and some, you know, cafes and uh, auto, auto parks and different things like that have to register and pay this annual fee. And, and that's just, you know, the police permit is just who they pay it to. Um, some of them are, are these fees require more kind of paperwork and processing than others. The city council has assured us that these uh, fees will not be, um, you know, onerous. Um, it'll be a simple kind of process. Uh, but I think the concern from the council was that, you know, folks who have a criminal record uh, would be, you know, hosting these, you know, massive parties um, in the hills and causing, you know, a lot of consternation from the neighbors and, and some uh, criminal activity, et cetera. And so this is their their thinking um, that would help kind of eliminate that um, you know, I won't speculate on why the hotel um, union folks were endorsing this. That's a separate issue. I won't speculate on that. But I think, you know, this was an attempt. And I think that it's important for community activists um, and small business owners to just keep an eye on this and make sure that that's the experience that once these, you know, these are implemented, the process is implemented, and we have the amount that folks are going to be charged, um, that we're keeping an eye on it, and we're making sure that it's not overburdensome for small business owners um, and people of color, right? Because we know when the police get involved, it has a chilling effect on, you know, our access and, and, and using those processes for a lot of historical reasons that we won't have to get into, uh, but it has a chilling effect. So we just have to keep an eye on it and make sure we're not seeing that. And if so, you know, come back and challenge our council members who all, you know, voted for it, all 14, you know, minus the folks who were absent uh, voting in favor. So we really just have to hold them accountable to make sure that this is doing what they say it's going to do. A lot of good points there. A lot of different kinds of businesses require police permits and a fee. They're saying it will likely be around 260 bucks a year. But the part about criminal background checks to rent out an Airbnb is interesting. Does that mean now we're going to see this for all of these kind of app-based um, services, i.e. Lyft, um, Uber, et cetera? It's, uh, it's interesting. And I love that yeah. council member Marquise Harris Dawson said, let's look at some alternatives to a police permit. We'll see if that means that the council is working on other ideas. I feel like there's a lot of good in the hotel measure. The idea that new hotels coming into the city have to replace any permanent housing that they demolish yeah. to make way for their project. I think you know, by forcing them to build new residential units or renovating existing ones that are not, you know, habitable or whatever. To me, those things make sense. It takes away the competition between hotels, which drive our tourism industry, and 
housing for the people who live here. So I think that's good. But this police permit thing is, is giving me red flags right now. And look, you know, I'm I'm happy for one, and, and I think it's important that a city, a world class city the size of Los Angeles, actually gets a handle on these short term rentals, right? So I've heard yeah. estimates of something like you know three thousand, four thousand, six thousand, have as many as nine thousand short term rentals are operating um, in the city alone, and so it's important for a city like this to know what's happening in the in the city. So I think it's important that the council took this on and said, hey, we need eyes on this. We need regulation around this. We need, you know, a catalog to know what's going on. We can't keep a blind eye. I think the question mark for all of us is that we hear LAPD and not just because of the chilling effect, like I said, on the community. That's a part of it. But yeah, it's like you said, they're overworked. And so does this, is this going to require, uh, which some folks estimate will require hiring more law enforcement just to process um, you know, kind of clerical stuff. Would this sit better in a different department? You know, we don't know. And so we're trusting the city council. They made this decision, you know, in conjunction with the police commission um, to do this, to add this as another set of fees. Um, we'll see how it runs, but I definitely think it's, I'm glad that you brought it up and, and folks are able to keep an eye on this because this is something that we need to pay attention to. We have a lot of issues in the city that could use police support right now. Um, and so we definitely definitely don't want to see this being overburdensome uh, to both small businesses and law enforcement. Jamika Marshall is my guest. We, she's with the Los Angeles Urban League. If you don't know what they do, keep it locked. We're going to get into that and what they offer. Well, you'll learn about that as well. I also want to take a look at the ruling since you brought up the police commission around Takar Smith and now what appears to be similar in the fact of a person experiencing a mental health crisis being killed by police. Uh, now the family of Jesse Dominguez taking action. It's KBLA Talk 1580. More of First Things First with Dominique DePrima when we come forward. Thanks for waking up with Dominique DePrima on KBLA Talk 1580. And I do appreciate you and you're welcome into the conversation always. 800-920-1580, 800-920-1580. Love talking with you all the time. Agree, disagree, or whatever is on the table. Jamika Marshall is my guest today. She's the vice president of programs for the LA Urban League. She's over all of their services and products. When I think of the Urban League, Jamika, I think of jobs. That's what I think of. But let's talk yeah. about all the different kinds of things that LAUL is involved with. Absolutely. So the, it's great that you think of jobs when you think of the Urban League, because that's really our wheelhouse. That's what we're um, still focused on after 103 years uh, in Los Angeles. Urban League was launched in um, 1919. Uh, 19. And so we love, you know, that folks think about jobs when they think of us. We also have programming focused around uh, small minority uh, businesses, so black and brown entrepreneurs. And we have programs that are really focused on uh, black and brown student achievement. And so education. And so both of those are really um, in concert with the workforce, really about wealth building. And so we're really trying to um, rewrite the narrative and rewrite the ship 
on uh, black wealth and uh, brown wealth in the city of Los Angeles, uh, reinvest um, after, you know, the historical disinvestment um, in those communities and help you know, those communities kind of achieve the American dream that's been long promised. And so all of our work is really about supporting individuals as they climb and strive uh, to do that, as well as using the voice of the Urban League uh, under the leadership of Ambassador Lawson um, to advocate systemically uh, for changes um, around those issues that really affect folks' uh, pocketbooks. And so, yeah, that's what we do, education, workforce development, and small business and entrepreneurship. And we're here to help uh, anyone who lives in L.A. County um, that are you know, focused on improving themselves around those issues. We talked about this, I think, yesterday or the day before. L.A. Times had an interesting article claiming that the black L.A. that was there when the writer was growing up no longer exists, or it's shrinking, I think, was the idea. And, of course, yeah. that's the impact of gentrification um, and, well, you want to call it black flight, folks going out to look for better schools, bigger homes, uh, less expensive prices. Is that what you see at the Urban League? I know you guys issue the state of black uh, L.A. And it seems like there, for me, there's two counteractive um, trends going at the same time. One is people are leaving. The other is people circling their wagons, buying properties, starting new businesses, where do you see that trend line? Well, I, I, I definitely see it both ways. I think, you know, when folks say that, uh, that, you know, the black community is, is lessening in the, in the city, I think that's true. That's backed up by data. I think the last uh, census um, that came out showed that the black population of Los Angeles was hovering around 8%, um, and that is a huge you know, difference between the 33% or so that was here um, in, uh, you know, 1970s, right? And so we think about the Los Angeles that our parents um, kind of, you know, grew up in and that we kind of came of age in. Um, it's different. It's a different city. And, yes, their gentrification and the changing demographics, um, the increased uh, cost of living, and um, historically, uh, the impact of over-policing by, by um, LAPD really had an impact on the black population in South Los Angeles. And you know that black Los Angeles has always been spread out in different pockets of the county. Um, and so we've always kind of came together in and around uh, South Los Angeles, South County, right? Whether that's Inglewood or South LA, um, are the South Bay um, in certain areas, uh, but even that population um, is, you know, decreasing now due to the pressures on housing prices and the lack of, um, you know, higher paying jobs that can really support a family access uh, for, for folks of color to those higher paying jobs that can uh, support a family in the city. So those pressures exist. But I think um, what we have to remember to focus on is Los Angeles County is huge. And so 8% of the 10 million folks um, that live here means that Los Angeles has a bigger, Los Angeles County has a bigger black population than, um, you know, Atlanta or Detroit 
are, you know, some of these places, you know, uh, Harlem, you know, New York, and, and some of these places where we consider, you know, huge enclaves of, of black communities, you know, we have higher numbers. And so, yes, the numbers are decreasing, but we don't want to take away the fact that we have a huge, huge black population in the county that is still struggling and striving for that equity and that parity with some of the other folks um, that, you know, live here and are privileged to kind of be granted uh, uh, some of those birthrights. And so we're still working hard to make sure that the people who are here um, are able to access, um, you know, what they have a right to access um, here in the county. Really good justif uh, juxtaposition. I mean, the fact that we actually have more black folks in Atlanta is something that never crossed my mind because we're going always by percentages rather than sheer numbers of human beings. Correct. So let's talk about some of the specifics as far as what you're doing to support these businesses, because I feel like that is the pushback many times for the loss of those factory jobs and other living wage careers that allowed us to buy homes, that allowed us to have a little bit better quality of life in this very expensive region. Yeah. So one of the um, burdens of progress <laughs> and success is that <clears throat> a lot of the uh, necessities of, uh, of kind of working together and really being community focused, um, some of that urgency has kind of dissipated, right? Because, you know, mm. progress, Things have gotten better. And so when uh, the back 1970s community, uh, when you couldn't buy houses above a certain uh, freeway, when you couldn't uh, kind of go to the club, you know, uh, you know too far west, um, it was very easy to kind of use and lean on uh, some of our uh, legacy institutions, some of our cultural institutions uh, like the Urban League and uh, Brotherhood Crusade and other places because, you know, we were the only shop in town, right? So we had to lean mm -hmm. on each other. We had to build out those types of communities. As we've grown, as we've progressed, um, I think, again, we need to refocus on that. And, and this is not to put the burden back on the individual, but in this case, you know, it is a little bit is for us to come back and just really reevaluate um, that urgency um, and the energy and the, the benefit that we had in that kind of community spirit and leaning on our networks. Uh, I think culturally what a lot of uh, black folks forget, and it's easy to forget sometimes in L.A. County because of, you know, the culture here is that, you know, other cultures, they don't move away from that. Right. They stay uh, kind of solid in that community uh, network and that community building that got them there. Um, you know, you, I don't you know, want to name uh, other different cultures, but we drive through their, you know, towns and villages and their neighborhoods all the time um, in the city. And we can see how, you know, even though they look very different than they look from 1970, they still have that camaraderie. They still have uh, that collectivism that kind of led them there. And so I think we need to get back to that in real in hopes of shoring up and supporting this next level of elevation uh, for Black Los Angeles. And there's the institutions that are, are doing that work are still out here. And it's not just the Urban League. Um, there are a lot of uh, Black-focused, uh, legacy Black-focused organizations, but there are also a lot of Black-led organizations that are doing the work, right? And they're out here, and they're looking for support. They're looking for that camaraderie. And so it, it, I, I really want to encourage us 
to continue to support organizations like KBLA and others that are really, uh, you know, focused on, uh, you know, bringing that collective spirit uh, back to the black community and shoring that up because it does pay dividends. It really affects all of our pockets. Talking with Jamika Marshall uh, of the Los Angeles Urban League. When we come forward, I want to focus on some of the programs that you have that are available for uh, black businesses, BIPOC businesses, and others, along with some of the ways that you engage with students here in L.A., many of us concerned about our babies. It is KBLA Talk 1580. This is KBLA Talk 1580, where hate loses and Jamika Marshall is on the phone with us this morning. She's vice president of programs for the LA Urban League. So let's talk about some of the ways that small businesses can interact with LAUL. Yeah, absolutely. So um, the Los Angeles Urban League, we have an entrepreneurship center that's really focused on helping support small minority-owned businesses. And so um, I wanted to share a few tips uh, for small businesses that are kind of uh, you know, wanting to finish the year strong, some things to think about in December. Um, one is for uh, small businesses to really spend some time focused on finance and bookkeeping, uh, really conducting that year in review, assessing their income for 2023, and then looking forward to plan for 2024. Um, and then, you know, conferring with an accountant at the end of the year is really important to talk and speak with the professional about, you know, what are some options? Is now a good time to purchase equipment? Now a good time to make a charitable donation? Um, or even whether they qualify some for some tax credits like um, the employee uh, retention credit, uh, which expires this year. So all of those things could possibly impact your tax bill, but you won't know unless you kind of confer with an accountant and really look over those books for the past year and prepare yourself uh, for January and tax season. So all those things are really important. Take a little time out just to give that a cursory view and talk with the professional. The second thing is personal care. Being an entrepreneur is hard. I'm not an entrepreneur, but at the Urban League, we work with about 700 uh, black and brown uh, small business owners through our entrepreneurship center every year and they always are so focused on the bottom line growing their business it's hard that they forget you know they need to think about self-care so think about things like you know using their health care benefits before they expire this year setting up a retirement account or just taking some time uh, to celebrate themselves and those hard-working employees uh, for a job well done this year um, and then finally want to encourage each and every uh, small black and brown uh, women and women-owned businesses as well to sign up and become a client of the Los Angeles Urban League or uh, GLAC, the Greater Los Angeles African American Chamber, or uh, the South LA Chamber, or the Crenshaw Chamber, or the Hawthorne Chamber, you know, just get there and connect with those other uh, culturally competent um, uh, business counselors that can really help you access resources like grants and loans, and then even just offer that mentorship and technical assistance that we really need um, to focus on our growth and our profits. So those are really important. No successful entrepreneur 
um, does it alone. And so just wanted to offer that little encouragement. The Urban League has um, lots of uh, grant programs and resources throughout the year um, that come online at different points in the year. So we can only let folks and individual business owners know about it if they're signed up and they're a part of our uh, kind of community. So www.laul.org, find our entrepreneurship center, and then just sign up and uh, you're locked in and uh, we can help you uh, from there. Yeah, that's a lot of good advice. The point about conferring with an accountant, I know for sure there are lots of Black-owned businesses that are not doing it. And one of the reasons may be cost, but the other is, where do you start? I mean, when you're talking to an accountant, you're opening your personal business to someone. And I feel like some of us are not quick to trust. Yeah. So where would you find an accountant? How would you suggest folks do that? Yeah, that's a great question. I really would encourage folks to get with a business counseling services like the Los Angeles Urban League, like PCR, like GLAC. Go sign up for that technical assistance. Each individual business owner is different. You may have a bookkeeper, but not a full accountant. You may have a software product like QuickBooks um, with Intuit, or you may kind of just be doing it old school and kind of doing it yourself. So for each situation, I think there's different recommendations kind of where you are. So really talk to a business coach, a business counselor, and they can help you and point you towards resources that are in your price range that are affordable. But listen, the most important thing is really getting that professional help. What a business owner needs to understand person primarily is that that those types of professional services pay for themselves exponentially. Right. And so if you want to grow, if you want to move from kind of just making it to the millionaire status where your business is really earning money, you have to invest in your business. And that means professional services like accounting um, and then eventually, you know, like legal services and, uh, and professional supports like that. So it's really, really important for folks to take that time and get that help uh, from a professional business coach and a business counselor can give them the precise information tailored to their business needs. But yeah, the trust is an issue, but until you get with uh, those business coaches and counselors that look like you, that have been through what you've you've been through, you will never um, know that there are folks that are out out there who you can trust and who can help help you grow your business. Yeah. And I think for some reason, we are hesitant to make that investment, even though we are quick to spend money on all kinds of other things. I find, because I do have a business, that the thing I was least prepared for was getting professional help for whatever and marketing dollars, having uh, money set aside to help people know about my business. Absolutely. Uh, Marketing, uh, client acquisition, um, making sure that you're communicating and telling the story about your business. A lot of our businesses don't invest in uh, kind of their website. Right. You'd be surprised how many black owned businesses don't have a website. If you're not really on the web in 2023, 
it's like almost like you don't exist. And so there are resources out there. The city of LA has free resources to help you build a website. Um, there's, it, there's so many free resources out here. And I just want to really encourage folks to find a business culture counselor. If it's not with the LA Urban League, you know, we, we're happy to take you. There are other folks out there that do this as well. The city, like I said, GLAC. And so really find those business coaches who can point you to those resources. You can get the free stuff first before you make the commitment to invest. Black, Greater Los Angeles, African-American Chamber of Commerce, for those not familiar. And most smaller cities within LA also have uh, chambers of commerce that have some programs too, right? There's one in Inglewood. I think there's one in Compton, et cetera. One in Hawthorne. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So if you're part of the county, you can access county resources and your city resources. So make sure that you're connecting with other business owners like yourself. That's what successful businesses do. If you scratch your service on that person who's franchising or who's opening another door, hiring another place, I asked, walk up to them and talk to them. I guarantee you they're working with uh, a, a business network. They're working with their chamber. Um, and so we, we have to start thinking like that. It's not cheating. This is how you get, this is the cheat code, right, to get to that next level. This is what folks do. So we got to encourage each other. Yeah, those those are super important points. And as far as the youth piece, will we find that on laul.org? How do we get Absolutely. a young person involved? Absolutely. So we do have resources and services for youth entrepreneurs who are interested. If you're in high school, 10th grade and up, and you want to start your own business, definitely check us out, laul.org. But I did want to flag for folks, December is a FAFSA month. So high school seniors that are planning to go to college next year um, should submit their financial aid documents to the federal government starting this month. Just as a flag for parents and students, there's going to be some slight changes to the FAFSA form this year. So the Urban League is here to help. We're going to have informational sessions about how to correctly fill out your FAFSA and how to get the most bang out of your buck all this month. The first one actually will be this Friday um, at five o'clock. We're partnering with the Hidden Genius uh, Project and uh, Inglewood as well as Cal State to conduct some informational sessions um, and it'll be live stream. And so we'll have links on it to our website. Check it out at laul.org. You can go on, you can watch it. If you can't be there in person, you can watch the live stream, but we're going to have informational sessions all month. We want to make sure that black and brown seniors are really filling out this FAFSA and doing it the correct way so that we can get all the money that, that we're entitled to. Yeah, I need to watch one of those live streams. <laughs> Jimika Marshall, thank you so much for joining us today. And thanks for all the work you're doing with the LA Urban League. Thanks so much, Dominique. And thanks so much for having me. And we appreciate it.